Father, with still hearts, we want to come before you. That our words would be very few. Because we want to see you and hear from you. You are our rescuer. You are our savior, our king, our friend, our father. Father, we are here tonight because we know that we need you. That we need you to fill our cups, that they would overflow. Entering into this space tonight, there's a variety of faces, feelings, spiritual battles, victories, all happening at the same time. You see them all, Father. You see us in our time of need. You see us when we are victorious in your name. And always, you are with us. As we sang Emmanuel, God is with us. How beautiful is that? That we can see your face, that we can know it, and that we would gather, or better yet, that you would gather us here to hear from your word. So once again, Father, still our hearts that all we could think about is our king and our friend in heaven, Jesus, who saves us, who brings us hope, who brings us peace and breaks us down to build us up. We love your gospel, Father. We love you and we ask you all the more to help us to praise you tonight, every night and every day till our last. We trust in you to do this because you are faithful always. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight's scripture, once again, is 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. It reads like this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we always want to take the time to sing, to tune our hearts, to pause, to pray, to ponder, to reflect, meditate. And though tonight we will be tackling two verses and one point that the brevity of our text tonight not be shallow though let it go deep down into our hearts 
put the inspired word of God, these two verses, exactly where it belongs. Not merely in our heads, but deep down in our hearts, as it says in the psalmist, that you desire truth in the inner parts. It teaches wisdom in the secret heart. The word of God is always meant to penetrate. So do that this evening, Lord. Thank you so much for all the voices that sung. Thank you for every saint that's sitting next to us and behind us and around us, every friend that's in the room here tonight, even the brothers and sisters who are joining online, bless their hearts. For when we gather every Wednesday, every middle of the week, in the middle of life's circumstances, we trudge and we trek and we get here by faith and we sit here under the Bible as a family. So in this family time tonight, Lord, would you teach us, would you father us? I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to your word and help all of us, myself included, to be faithful to hearing it and receiving it and living it out. Fill this time with fun and joy because the Bible is not boring, but let it also be weighty and meaty and rich because the Bible is very deep. Thank you so much for this evening. We receive it as grace. Thank you, King Jesus, for the Bible. We'd be so lost without it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Because I hope you guys are all excited to talk about family tonight. Because if we're honest, that's not, maybe not the topic a lot of people want to talk about. You may be left to come to a midweek service to get away from your family. And now you're here and we're going to talk about family. So let's ask for God's grace. Let's work through these two verses, and I pray, oh, I pray that by the end of this time, there would be a higher elevation in our hearts and minds of what it truly is to be part of the family of God, and that when you hug each other, when you embrace each other and call each other brother and sister, there's great depth to every single time we do that. So much so that it's like we're greeting one another with holy kisses, as Paul would say. Father, as we work through these two verses, there is a temptation that always looms. There are birds of the air that want to snatch these seeds. There are distractions in our brains and circumstances of life that is going to try to suck our attention away from this time around the Bible. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just show up right now. And be here, teach us, grab our attention and keep it. Let this seed go on good soil. Let there be fruit of righteousness in the family of God here in Uwanu. Let the kingdom of God advance because we're here tonight paying attention. Let all the keiki in the house, all the way up to the most seasoned kupuna in the house, be ministered to. And let all of us leave this night never looking at each other the same, always with a greater glow in our eyes. Grow us now in this. Let us see what kind of love that you've lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. In Christ's name, amen. So the Bible describes, especially in the New Testament, the church has multiple things, right? Multiple metaphors for church. The church is a kingdom, Revelation 5. The church is a priesthood, right? First Peter 2. 
or a temple, Ephesians 2. The church is a body, 1 Corinthians 12. It's a gathering, Hebrews 12. The church is an army, implicitly in Ephesians chapter 6. As we get ready for the wedding, the church is a picture of the bride. God has choke pictures for what the church is to be, and all of them are massive and glorious. All different angles of what the church is supposed to be. And yet there is the one that we will linger on tonight that often I would argue can be most easily overlooked. Perhaps maybe because it's so simplistic, so, so, so simple in its terminology. And we use the word a lot. We don't use temple a lot. We don't use priesthood a lot. So maybe when we talk about the church as being an army, it's kind of new to us. But when we say family, there's almost a temptation to even just kind of think, I get it. Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really work really hard tonight with just these two verses to perhaps help us realize that, no, it's more precious, it's more powerful than we realize. Like the reality of family, the belonging to a family. I said this already in observation. You know how fundamental that is to just your existence? This stretches all the way back to creation, does it not? He created man and woman. And he said, be one and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply, a.k.a. be family. Make more families. This is huge, church, for us to understand and comprehend. Even those of us with our young children, they know, they have this sense, even baby, um, that they're a part of something. But as they grow older, I need to teach my son, that is your sister. We love your sister just like we love you. And that teaching still continues to today. It'll keep going into his teen years, into his adulthood. Like this whole thing of a family, this metaphor, it deserves maximum reflection tonight. Maximum meditation. And I believe that if we as believers... Those who trust in Christ, those who believe that Jesus came, lived, died, rose, and if we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we, John 3.16, will have eternal life. What does Jesus say in that conversation with Nicodemus? That's how you are born again. So what's implicit there? That's how you become part of the family. So when we say family, we're not talking about Okay, well, we have a church building and we all gather here. That's what makes us a family. Oh, what makes us a family is, um, you know, we all like a lot of the same stuff. That's why I cringe when people say, oh, yeah, that's a surfer church. Or that's a hip church. Or that's a intellectual church. No, no, no. That's a church if it's made up of believers who trust in Jesus for everything. You see, when we grasp this, like if you start to really realize the gravity of what it means to actually belong to a family. That's why I think adoption is so beautiful that I had it tattooed on my wrist. That Ephesians 1.5 says that I was actually adopted into the family of God. This is so big, church. It's so 
big and so easily overlooked that John says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says this, see. Why would he say see? Because you don't see this. See this. What kind of love the Father has given us. I think NIV says lavished us. you got to see this. There is a massive love from the Father above that he has given you that we sinners, alienated from God, spiritually orphaned, lost, lonely people who don't have a belonging, who are craving for some sort of belonging, you, we, should be called children of God. And then you know what the Apostle John says? So we are. And then you know what he says in the next verse? Beloved, we are God's children. Why is John so emphatic about this? Because you don't see it. You don't really see it. You don't really see how crazy this is. That's where I'm at tonight. And we're going to do two verses. Is I pray. I pray, and I believe Paul is wanting to get this into young Timothy. That first and foremost, Timothy, you're going to pastor, but you got to see it for what it is. That's the family of God. Perhaps we don't treat one another as family because first we don't really see what kind of love it is that we should be called children of God. When you really, when we really see that we are so graced to be grafted in to such royalty. And you start to look at each other differently. Like I look at Trevor right now. Look at the person next to you who's a saint, who believes in Christ. What do you see? I see a child of God. I see a man who was saved by the same blood that I was saved by. If I look at Kaleo, I see a man who is given the same Holy Spirit I was given. If I look at Tawny, I see someone who has the same citizenship that I have, and it's by the same grace that I've been given it. When we start to see each other differently, as truly like Ohana, everything else in chapter 5 will, will flow. All the big burden bearing that they're going to have to do for widows. All the complicated pastoral pay and care for their leadership. All that other stuff. We're going to want to do these things. And so tonight, I'm going to work through this. But my big overarching prayer is, is child of God. If you've never really been stunned by the fact that you are a child of God because of the blood of Christ, I pray tonight would be the night that you really see how crazy that is. That you really get overwhelmed by that love. Because that, I think, is the springboard to how we're going to behave as family. We don't treat each other as family, one, because I don't think we see. I don't think we see how great a love it is to be a part of the family of God. So here we go. Paul's working into chapter 5. And again, you already an observation. We kind of got to the context and everything like that. 
And so he continues on in the letter, counseling young Timothy, do not rebuke. Do not rebuke. Epipleso. This is a word of don't sharply chastise with words. Like, hey. Like, there's a sharp, like, mm. don't be stingy with your words. Don't strike smartly. That's what it means in the Greek. Can you guys imagine a, such a phrase? You strike smartly like a little sucker punch. Don't do that with your words. Now, again, Donna brought up an observation. Well, does this mean that older people don't need rebuke? Because, and she was like, if I'm being honest, we're not right all the time. And so, no, I don't think that's what, he, what he's getting at. Because obviously in the greater context of the letter, he's telling Timothy again and again, command these things, teach these things. So where is Paul getting at? I think as we keep reading on, he says the but, however. So now Paul is giving more of the art of how to interact with the family. Right? So he's not saying don't give correction because everyone's going to need correction. But he's going to get into the how. So he says don't rebuke an older man. But or rather. Now well, before we get to the next word. Older man. Because maybe some of us in the house are like. When do we cross over from young to old? Well, you know, and, you know, and so I'll just leave that up to you guys. Um, in the Greek it just means advanced in life. Elder. Senior. And then it just says this too. I love it. Old man. So don't rebuke those who are advanced in life, who have years beyond you, Timothy. Don't be smart and sharp with your words. I love that Mel brought this up because honestly, how much of us struggle with that? How much of us are sharp with our words, especially with our parents? Yeah, we laugh because it's true, right? Now again... All what we're used to when we think of family, you know, the whole family sitcom kind of vibe that we have in our generation, where family kind of treats each other like trash, that's all a result of the fall. Let's just remember that. Because at the fall, right, Noah's son shamed him, Cain and Abel murdered each other, family fell at the fall. So Paul is teaching in the family of God, now, this is what it looks like. This is what the cross of Christ can redeem and come to life, make come to life in Newton Water. So, don't rebuke, but rather encourage. I love this. Parakaleo. To call to one side, to exhort, instruct, admonish. It's to encourage with console. It, there's, there's a more tender care and communication versus being sm, um, smitey and sharp. You see that? Like, encourage him. Now, not, not just encourage him, but he goes on to say, Timothy, as you would a father. See, Paul is giving Timothy communication skills. This is important, church, because I know we all love each other. I believe we love each other. And I believe we believe each other fam is family. But maybe perhaps we need some communication skills with each other. Because don't, don't we run into that a lot in family matters? We rub each other the wrong way. So listen to the wisdom of the Bible. Encourage one another. Now, this is from younger to older, and I, this is important because young people, and I'll group myself in there, young people, we, we need to learn to be humble in our communication. 
We need to learn this. Paul told Timothy in the earlier chapter, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You know why young people get looked down on? Because they disrespect people. Young people have a tendency to act like they know it all. And they will misspeak. They will speak sharply. They will turn their face. They will gesture in a way that does not show honor to the elderly. And so he's getting on Timothy and he's saying, set an example. And then he says in speech, and here's one of the ways, Timothy, don't rebuke older people. Don't talk down on people who have been on the earth longer than you. But encourage them. Show a sense of reverence and honor and respect. This pleases the Lord, young people. Let me give you some scripture. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. It says this, you shall stand up before the gray head. Did you see that? When a gray hair walks in the room, you don't just sit and chill. You stand up and show respect. That's huge. And honor the face of the old man. Now here's the motivation. You shall fear your God. And then I am the Lord. So the Bible is telling us, show respect and honor the elderly. This isn't, so even parents, as we teach our children to, to, to have good manners, it's not merely about just being young people who have good manners. This is not merely that. It's not old school stuff. This is, this is out of obedience and reverence to God. It says, fear God. I am the Lord. This is huge. Proverbs 16.31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. I don't mind getting my grays coming in. I don't mind if people point out my salt and pepper. The Bible tells me that's glory. And maybe older people, we got to hear that. You got to hear that. Because time and time again, I've even talked to older members in our church where they have the temptation to think that they are obsolete. That they don't matter to this younger generation because they can't keep up with their whatever. The language, the verbs, the, the letters that they use to talk and stuff. And then, therefore, they think, I don't matter. No. You know, when we did the Family Talk podcast, as we're doing that, there's a reason why for the whole first season, I only wanted to interview with the senior members in our church. Because that is the glory. They have been there and done that. Who's most relevant to this generation than a generation that's walked before us? Come on, young people, see it. You see, when I was called to come and pastor at this church and I was told that it's mainly gray hair, my faith tells me glory and treasure. I want that. I'm there. I need that. Because I was amongst a church family that had very slim to none gray hair. You know what that means? Slim to none experience. If you're going to go on a hike, who do you like hike with? Someone that never did the trail before or someone who's done the trail a hundred times? Right? So, you see the depth of this. Timothy, older men, respect them. Sure, they're going to be off on their theology at times. Sure, they're going to need correction. But please never forget, first, that's family. Treat them like a father. So if you glance around the room and you see men that are older than you, younger men, younger women, 
the way you carry yourself in their presence. You know, younger people, you may not have a father. You might be like Timothy. Maybe you have a father, but you don't have a spiritual father. You know that God in his providence could have a father in this room for you? Fathers. You know how powerful it must have been for Timothy to hear when Paul started this letter? Timothy, my true son. Because Timothy's father was not in the faith. So Timothy, don't forget that. Young people, don't forget that when you show up at church and you see gray hair, stand up. Sunday morning. They come, they shake your hand. You know what's crazy about the older saints in our church? They're so drenched with the spirit. They remember you. Amen. You tell them something, you're hurting. You know what's going to happen next week? How is that? You know what? Here's 100 bucks. Go do something. Go eat lunch or something. That happens here. This pleases God, young people, when we honor and respect the elderly. It's not merely a matter of being polite and having good manners. You know why? Because God is a father. He is the great elder. And when we as a church ohana respect those who went before us, it pleases him. Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, Paul says, Timothy, understand this, that in the last days it's going to get difficult. And then he says this in verse 2, people are going to love themselves. We see that. That's not hard to see in our generation. People have web pages all about their face. And they're going to be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Now notice this. It says this. In the generation, they're going to be disobedient to parents ungrateful, unholy, and heartless. You know what Paul is trying to tell Timothy? Timothy, you're going to be a young pastor, pastoring in a godless culture among young people who will become increasingly disrespectful. Young people who will be increasingly rude and arrogant towards the previous generation. Indeed, we live in a generation that is so arrogant and disrespectful for the generation that we'll just pass our blame onto the generation. And it's all the other generation's fault, not our fault. This is how far we've come, young people. So how countercultural would it be if you bring your non-Christian friends into the church, into the family, and you see young people pushing wheelchairs, and you see young men and women getting the door, you, you see auntie coughing, and multiple young people run to grab her a cup. How countercultural would that be? To see your friend group pictures on your media sprinkled with gray hair. Not everyone that looks like you. How crazy cool would that be? Church, that is the family of God. And Paul wants Timothy, set that example. Cultivate that even in the way you speak to older people. I love that God called me here to New Oanu. And I don't just say it as a cliche thing. Older saints, I love you so much. I am so thankful to God for my parents and for the many other spiritual parents that I have. I don't care what title or position I have in this church. I'm just a kid. I'm just part of the family. 
and I'm so happy to be a part of one. Where I have fathers, and then he even says older women as mothers. I love being in a family that has older saints. And so when the time comes, older saints, when perhaps a younger saint sees something that needs correction, let's not do it sharply and smitely and disrespectfully, but let's encourage them as family. Let's look at some other parts. So older men, the older women, it's the same Greek words, presbyteros. It just changes when it says mothers, which is mater and pater. But you kind of see where Paul is going with this. Treat the elderly as mom and dad. Isn't that so cool, though? Doesn't it make you want to hug each other right now? Mom, dad, you know, right? And that's, and that's the family feels in the family of faith. Familial affection is the wisdom Paul is giving to Timothy. Don't be harsh. Don't be short. That's mom and dad. Let's get to the younger people. So younger men. So this is the word, same Greek word for younger men and younger women. So I'm going to tackle it at the same time. Neos. What does that sound like? Neos. Newbie. Just new. It means recently born. So like the baby that Caitlin's carrying. To all the keiki here and then to even to youth, young, just fresh, just young men, young women. So Timothy, your peers perhaps. So to the older saints in the house, Timothy, respect, honor, encourage. Now to the younger ones, your peers or those younger than you, bully them. Boss them around, Timmy. Because they're younger than you. Does he say that? You know this word brother and sister, Adelphos or Adelphi. Again, remember, the fall made these terms to us. You think, you might think negative. I know when people ask me about me and my, my relationship with my sisters, I think a lot of positive. But there's also a lot of negative. Because we're family and we fight. And we have history. But why is that there, church? Because of the fall. The attitude that says, I brought, treat them like brother, shoots. Treat them like sister, shoots. Talk stink. No, that's a result of the fall. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? That spirit is because of sin. This is the family of God now. The cross redeems this. So again, as we work through this family stuff, if you find yourself thinking in your heart, I've disrespected older people. I've walked past older people in this church like they don't matter. Yes, let the Spirit of God convict you. You are wrong. And quickly run with that wrong to the cross of Christ. And say, change me. If you know right now tonight you have sinned against a brother or a sister and you don't think well, yes, you're wrong. Now run with that sin to the cross of Christ and work with this right here. Because the Bible is saying when he says treat them as brothers and as sisters, listen to this, Romans 12.10. Let love be genuine. Abhor evil. Hold fast to good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then Paul goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. 
Timothy, you're going to pastor old and young. Old, treat them like family, fathers and mothers. Young, your age and below, that's your brother and your sister. That's big, Timothy. I have a question for us tonight. Do you, do you love your brothers and sisters here? Do you hate a brother or sister here? And maybe not physically here, but just in the faith? Are you jealous? Is there hatred, there bitterness in your heart towards a brother or sister? Be honest. And this applies to all of us, not just young men and women. Is that your attitude towards a brother or sister tonight? The Bible calls us to have brotherly affection. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with Love, a true sign of godliness is a love for the brothers. Remember this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21? If anyone says, I love God, and hates his, what? Brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, yet cannot love God whom you've not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love God. His brother. One of the marks of a true believer, that you're really a believer and a part of this family of faith, is that you have love for the brothers and the sisters. You love them. Church, look around. It's your family. Do you see each other as family? And not just the warm, sentimental feel like family, thick and thin. Through awkward moments, through hard moments, and happy moments, victorious moments, depressing moments, we're family. When we work at these things, we're going to fall short. We're going to be short and sharp. We're not going to be encouraging. We're not going to treat one another as brothers and families. You might treat non-Christian friends more like a brother than you do someone in the church. And that's a problem. That you and I need to go to God and say, change me. I can't say I love God and hate someone in the church. This is a true sign of godliness. It's a true sign that you're truly a Christian. Do we have these eyes? Behold, any man being Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So when we get to the end of this, this is where I think that with all purity is massive. Because what does that mean? Because I do believe, yes, some scholars say Paul is just talking about the way Timothy needs to deal with women, young women with all purity. And I agree with that. But I'm also on the same boat with Victor where he says that all purity applies to the way we relate to every member of the church. So Paul is saying, here's the big point and we're done. As a family of believers, we care for one another like family. And then I would add on with all purity. Total sinlessness. That's what it means. Pas hagnia. Moral virtue without defect. 
this Timothy is how you're supposed to treat your family. Does this mean the church family is sinless? Does it mean the church family doesn't fall short? Because Paul is saying you got to do with all purity. So I'm wondering, okay, what does that mean? How do I do that with all purity? Well, here in closing, the only way I think the church can be a family with all purity is by the pure love of Christ and the pure blood of Christ that cleanses us and makes us whole. That's the only way this is possible. Do you have a pure heart tonight? Or is your heart impure? Is your heart wholly, like when I say pure, think of this too. 100%, like 100% pure orange juice. Is your heart pure tonight? Because the Bible, I would say, is saying implicitly, when your heart is impure, you do not treat one another as family. When our hearts are impure, that's when we hurt our family. When our hearts are impure, Timothy, you're going to rebuke the older man. You're not going to treat him like a father. When your heart's impure, you're going to look wrong at your brother and sister. You're going to step on toes. So Timothy, treat them as family with all purity. The question is, so is, our, is your heart pure? And how does our hearts become pure, church? You got it? At the cross of Christ. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is your heart pure tonight? And if it's not, confess your sins and let the blood of Christ purify you. Then go make peace with your family. Listen to this. I just realized this today in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, it says this. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. And then you know what's the next verse? Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. A pure heart precedes peacemaking. That's true family right there. That's true sonship and daughtership. First, it's the pure in heart. And you start to see God. You see how amazing this is to be a part of the family. And you're wigging out like, no way, I'm a part of the family of God. A pure bloodline. But King Jesus, God my Father... Do you say that with any meaning? And then my brothers and my sisters, when we become pure in heart, guess what happens? Peacemaking happens. We treat each other actually as a family. It's beautiful. Here's another correlation I, re- I found in Hebrews 10. I didn't realize this either. Pure heart preceding peacemaking. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, draw near, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And then you know what he says after? After you get that pure heart, verse 23, hold fast to the confession of hope. Verse 24, then let us encourage, let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together with your family, as is the habit of some. But encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this stuff. It's the pure heart that precedes peacemaking. It's the pure heart that precedes encouragement. It's the purity of heart that's going to make us actually live and breathe as a family. 
and a peculiar family. A family like the world has never, ever seen. That's the church. What happens if we all actually start to treat each other with all purity? What happens if the gospel took so much root in us that there was a purity in our heart and we actually really wanted the best for each other and we treated each other like mom, dad, brother, sister? You know what would happen? We'd be a head-turner church. You know what a head-turner is? People look at it and they turn again. It's like, what was that? They're going to see stuff happen in here that's just like, that don't happen in my family. That's the church. That's what happens when the church shines. You want to be a part of that? I do. We're called to that. We can do this, church. By the blood of the Lamb and the Spirit of Christ. Paul is out to make one thing clear to Timothy, that relationships in the church are fundamentally family. And we're called to be this family of faith. And when we, church, do this, by the power of the gospel, at work within us, making us pure, we become this strange, strange family. So incredibly strange and peculiar that the world has to look at us and wonder, how can? The church looks at the first century church and says, how can Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee who was a persecutor of Christians, look at this Gentile boy and say, that's my son. What? How can a tax collector and Peter, James, John, all these disciples from strange backgrounds be like this in a group photo with their arms around each other? That makes no sense. How can a church like the book of Acts have no needy persons among them? They're mixed with all kind. It's like a mixed plate. Get rich, old, um, Rich, poor, young, old, zealots and politicians and all kind of kai. And look at them. They like love each other. That's the church. That's the family of God. Did he not say in John 13, the world will know you're mine by the way in which you all love each other. I want that. I want to invite my relatives to a Christmas service this year. And then come and just join a part of the family of God here. And they're still my family. I love them. And I want them to be in here and feel uncomfortable because what they look around, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, no way. No, no way that's real. Oh, my gosh. Look at how they talk to each other. Look at how these husbands and wives respect each other. Look at how these children, even though they're rascal, they, like, are submitting to their like, look, look at the way that these members talk about their pastors. No, this is weird. I've never seen anything like it. And what do we do, church family? All glory be to Christ. Because who did that in us? Not us. Church family. We are called to be a part of an amazing heritage. I am happy to be a part of the family of God. And as long as we are here and as long as we're carrying on, let us continue to grow and work at really seeing it and savoring it and putting it to practice. We're a family of believers. 
Look around every time you come to a gathering. That's my brother. That's my brother. You know, I've always wanted a brother in my immediate family. And I'm thankful to God I have a brother-in-law now, Mark. But if he's listening, I love him. I've always wanted a brother. Not, nothing bad about my sisters. I love my three sisters. And some of them are really athletic, so we kind of felt, you know, we could do stuff. And, but, but it's just I wanted a bro to fight with. So I see some of you guys who have brothers. I'm like, I'm envious. And then God blessed me with a brother-in-law. And then the day when we got to plunge him into the waters to see my brother-in-law become my brother. And I look at all of you. I have a big family. And then you look at the churches when you drive around the island. I don't care what denomination they're from. They may, they may differ in theological things here and there, but if they are clear on the gospel and they believe in the blood and the atoning work of Christ, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Evangelical, free or whatever, remember church, that's our brothers and sisters. In this life, in this generation that's getting increasingly darker, we need as a family to be a family. And that expression needs to overflow out of our building. We're brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. Be proud to wear that name on the back of your jersey. It's the name of Christ, the name above all names. Go home tonight and relish and be stunned that you are a child of God. It's a massive thing. There's nothing like it. Amen? I love you guys. We're family. Until he calls us to glory, let's keep going. Let's pray, let's sing. And again, as you hear each other's voices, that's your family there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I think of John 19 at the cross when you were bleeding out and purchasing us with your blood. It says you saw your mother and the disciple whom you love standing near her. And you said to your mom, woman, behold, your son. And then you said to the disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her home. The question is, is if we believe this, do we believe that the saints sitting next to us, in front of us and behind us, regardless of their age, regardless of their status of life, do we believe that they're our family, their fellow countrymen? Let us see this, Lord. You can't fabricate family feels it's got to be real. We all need to really have a real realization that we are redeemed. I am blood-bought, and so is he, and so is she, and that's my family. Let this love abide. Let this love grow as we sing out 
and hear each other's voices. Let us be reassured tonight that we're not in this alone. I do hurt for widows. I do hurt for people in our church that lack family, that don't have moms, that don't have dads, that don't have brothers or sisters. We do hurt for anyone in the congregation that may feel like they're totally alone. Redeem that tonight. Show us that we have a family. And it is the family of the living God. So lead us, Holy Spirit. And let us sing together, one heart, one voice. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Romans 8, 38 through 9 to close says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love one another. We're his family. Go in his peace. Amen.